This podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. We respectfully pay tribute to their wisdom and custodianship of the lands and waterways. We acknowledge elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. <laughs> this is Money, Power, Freedom. This is Money, Power, Freedom. Nah, this is Money, Power, Freedom. That's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> it's Money, Power, Freedom. Hello and welcome to Money, Power, Freedom, a new podcast series created by the Victorian Women's Trust in partnership with Bank Australia, the bank with clean money. My name is Cal Wilson. I'm a comedian who is frightened of money. And with me, I have journalist and writer Santilla Chingayipe. So this episode is about making a game plan for the future. But first, some disclaimers. As wonderful as we are, we are not financial advisors. Let me make that clear. Use this podcast as a springboard and seek out independent financial advice for your own unique circumstances. We use the term woman throughout this podcast. This applies to anyone who identifies as a woman. Everyone is welcome here. We also acknowledge the strength of our non-binary friends who also face significant barriers to their economic security. So Cal, when you imagine yourself in your golden years, what do you see? I see myself with a lot of cats. (laughs) Um, each of those cats is wearing a gold necklace. I imagine myself still living in the same house, but I hope that I get to travel. That's what I'm hoping for. Mm. And that we've set our son up to be financially astute as well as me suddenly gaining that skill. Mm. Mm. What about you? What do you visualise? I visualise myself lounging on a deck somewhere with a cocktail in hand and doing that every single day. (laughs) Why wait? Don't worry about anything. Why wait? Yeah. So so this is a really sexy question. How does superannuation factor Factor into into that vision? Well, look, if I'm going about it the right way um, and managing my super well, it would hopefully allow for that opportunity to uh, lounge. But it's interesting talking about super because here in Australia, it is a big thing. It's not necessarily something that everyone, you know, around the world has access to, but we're very lucky in this country that we do have superannuation. So we've got some audio from the archives from sort of super's history. Right. My question is to the Prime Minister. Has the Prime Minister's attention been drawn to reports on the need for governments to promote policies which ensure that people save for their retirement? Can the Prime Minister inform the House of our government's intentions in this regard? What a good question. Honourable Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, this House last night passed the superannuation guarantee levy in doing so it has entrenched in legislation a great reform which will be of great benefit to coming generations of Australians. So that's Labor MP Carolyn Jacobson and the former Prime Minister of Australia Paul Keating talking in Parliament the day after compulsory superannuation was made law in 1992. But has super done what it was intended to do? We're going to listen to some audio taken from Breakthrough, which was a two-day feminist event hosted by the Victorian Women's Trust. This particular clip is from a session all about super. Our typical HESTA member is 43 years old. Some of you may just say, well, you may be HESTA members in the room here, but 43 years old, they're professional, they're wonderful people, they work in health and community services, they serve us and the people that are precious to us when we're at our most vulnerable. Now, if you're thinking about that, I just wanted to have a hazard at a guess of the typical HESTA member who's female at 43, working in health and community services, 
Who wants to have a guess about what you think their current superannuation balance is? Anyone want to try? 70,000. Now we are, um, I borrowed this from one of my wonderful general managers. We're going to play a game called The Price is Right. It's actually lower than that. 55, lower. 42, lower. Getting close, but still lower. 18. So the current balance for our typical HESTA member at 43, they've already focused on study, profession, they're caring for Australians, they're holding the glue of the community together. They've gone off and they had time and they're raising children. Again, typical HESTA member, it's $18,000. Wow. So that was Neil Saxton, who is an executive from Hester Superfund, talking in 2016. I'm gobsmacked. Yeah. $18,000. That just goes my dream of retiring yeah. and lounging. No lounging for you. <laughs> no. I mean, there won't be enough. I mean, in some ways, super was this noble idea, but lots of people don't understand how it works. And I mean, you, you yeah. moved from New Zealand and you were trying to figure it out. And so many ordinary Australians, typically women, miss out. So I want to hear from a bunch of women about what super means to them and how well they deal with it. So first up, we're going to hear from Lorraine Beloy. So Lorraine is the co-founder of African Family Services in Melbourne. It's an organisation that supports African migrants to access support. AFS also provides cultural awareness training for businesses and organisations, which is equally important. But let's hear from Lorraine about her experience with super. Superannuation is a very interesting one. I don't even know how to navigate superannuation. <laughs> I have no idea. I have called through. I've asked questions and I don't get it. The language is just, it's foreign to me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm fluent in English and it's hard for me to access or even understand how superannuation works, I just wonder how it is for a mother or single mother with children and is limited in English. Worse off if they've gone through, you know, other traumatic situations in their lives and trying to juggle that. The issues that the women we work with or the families we work with are the most basic issues around structural norms that continue to limit women from being empowered. And if I was to tap into that, we wouldn't even be touching into superannuation. There's a lot of issues going on. There's a lot of disadvantage, I guess, that we identify on a day-to-day -day basis. So we have another story now from Bron, who is talking about domestic violence. So just a content note about that. It's not a graphic story, but Bron is volunteering her story so that other women are more aware of what they're entitled to when a relationship actually ends. I divorced in my early 50s. I left what I came to understand was a domestic abuse situation at the time all I figured was I just couldn't stay any longer. I knew my ex-husband was passive-aggressive, but I didn't realise the extent of the damage that he was doing by that behaviour. So we decided to divorce. We decided to do that as a joint thing rather than me divorcing him or him divorcing me. And so when it came to property settlement, we used the same solicitor and we went and saw the solicitor together. I was asked whether I wanted to have a share of my ex's super, but I said no because I felt that that super belonged to him 
not realising that I really was entitled to it and had contributed to it by being pretty much the stay-at-home mum that I'd been for most of um, our children's growing up years. Wow. So that's a really interesting point that you've raised there about saying that you felt like you weren't entitled to his super, even though you had been contributing to his quality of life and your children's quality of life as well, that you felt you hadn't earned the right to have some of it, even though that is uh, an entitlement under law. That's right. Yes, I think that was partly because of the impact of domestic abuse. It doesn't really matter what sort of abuse, what shape it takes, whether it's financial or mental, emotional, physical. The person who is on the receiving end of that abuse loses, in a sense, their identity and their capacity Mm -hmm. to think that they're worth anything. And often that's very subtle, and it was certainly very subtle uh, in my case. And so I just felt I was doing the kind thing to my husband. He'd earned the money, Mm -hmm. therefore he'd earned the super. Um, I was trying to expedite the whole situation as amicably as possible and just get it done. And I suppose I had confidence in myself that I could face the future, but I realised I didn't actually do myself any favours. So have you got any advice that you'd give other women facing a similar situation? I would certainly say take your time, particularly when it comes to property settlement. Think really clearly and get some advice around what you are entitled to. I think awareness is such a key thing. I didn't know anybody else who was divorced in my circle of friends or in my family. So I didn't have anybody to go to. So if you find yourself in that position, yeah, do the old Dr. Google and find out what you're entitled to. And don't be afraid to ask for it because you are entitled and you are worth Mm -hmm. having whatever you're entitled to. One of the things that I loved hearing from your story, Bron, I had no idea that women were entitled to split their partner's super. That was something that I didn't know that, you know, was possible. Is this part of the reason why you're sharing your story? Is it, Mm. you know, to make more women aware of this kind of entitlement? I try to share my story and aspects of it as often as possible because as a survivor of domestic abuse, particularly abuse that was not violent, I want to raise awareness in the community that women suffer, Mm -hmm. even if there are no bruises or broken bones or hospital visits. If you can't get yourself back into a really sound financial position, all you're doing is keeping your head above water. And that's one of the consequences. So yeah, I really am trying to raise awareness and say to women, Take what you're entitled to. Don't just be nice. (laughs) Don't just be kind. You know, fight for actually what you are entitled to. Bron, you're amazing. Thank you so much for telling us your story. You've articulated stuff that I haven't even thought about uh, being entitled to superannuation. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Our next guest is Pauline Taylor, who's had a long career in finance. Uh, She's an economics consultant. She's worked in the public and private sectors. She's all over stockbroking, managed funds analysis, credit ratings. Pauline, how have you had an entire career to do with stuff that both bores and terrifies me simultaneously? 
Well, it probably goes back to um, as, as a teenager when um, my father was sort of saying, well, look, do something practical. When, when are you going to start to bring some money into the household? And look, I, I loved economics at school. It was my favourite subject. So it's something that I guess I did have an affinity with. At that stage, I wanted to have a career as well. And I thought, well, there's lots of jobs for accountants. Actually, my mother thought, well, who wants to marry an accountant? They're all so boring. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I sort of went down the the commerce path, which was, I guess, unusual in my day. And so how do you manage your super? Like, like I'm, I'm not from here. I don't know if you can tell, but I have a fuzzy idea of how super works. Can you give me a sort of pricey on what it is and how do we manage it? We have compulsory superannuation here in Australia. So employers are required to take nine and a half percent out of your salary and put it into a complying superannuation fund. If you're earning more than $450 a month, then they're required to, to do that. Some people find they've got several accounts because they might change jobs and so their next employer will put them into another super account. And it's better to, to keep one super account and to say to your employer, well, look, I'm in XYZ fund. Uh, if you change jobs and you go to a new employer, go to HR and say, look, I, I want to stick with this fund, happy with this fund and uh, make sure my super goes into there. So you're not sort of acquiring a whole lot of, of unnecessary funds and unnecessary fees. You do need to keep a check on it. You may have to make sure this employer has put your money in there. They only have to do this quarterly. But in some industries, uh, particularly hospitality and construction, there are records of employers that have not put the money in. So you need to be on top of that and, and make sure they're putting it in. Check with your super fund, check with your pay slips. Is that money going into my superannuation account? And would you advise everyone to get an accountant if they can afford it? Well, I think... Probably, yes, particularly to do your tax return, depending on as a sole trader or whether you're in a partnership or that sort of thing. I think we, we have incredibly complex tax here in Australia. So it's a good idea to put in a return and, and to perhaps get an accountant who might be able to give you some help on when's the best time to make contributions. I think probably if I was a small business owner, I would take on an accountant. And you can write off some of those costs of the accountant in terms of cost of running your business as well. And so if we want more information about this, what are some good places we can go? Well, if you're in a super fund, there's your superannuation funds website. There's my book, How to Be a Super Smart Woman, which has got all sorts, only 250 pages and all sorts of hints for women. There's the Money Smart website. That's the federal government's ASIC website, and it's, it's called Money Smart, and that's got all sorts of sections, um, particularly for women, and lots of ideas and, and calculators. One of the most shocking things that I was reading was that women retire, you know, with 42% less super than men. Why Why is that? You know, we hear that our oh, women have, have made choices. They go into low-paid occupations. They choose to work part-time. They choose to um, take time off to have children, almost as if it's our fault, mm. it's our choices. Mm. But you don't hear much about the fact that the way our taxation works, it encourages and helps the high-income people, mm. not the lower-income people. And actually, a young woman who was doing her Master's of Tax actually got in touch with me about um, some of my submissions and writings. And she said that when she was doing her thesis, she she didn't realise how the tax system worked so much against women. I think a lot of people don't mm, realise that. I've, I've never thought about that before. No, it's, so, it's, so it's not our fault. It's, it's not women's fault mm. that we've got less money. It's it's the, the way the system has, has worked in Australia. Cal, I don't know if you remember Beck Sanders from episode one. Favourite bank manager. 
that's it. Well, she's back again and she's going to be telling us about her relationship with Super. Super really gets around. (laughs) For me personally, thinking I was financially literate in my 20s is very different to me in my 30s now. So, you know, financial literacy in my 20s was making sure I paid my rent, making sure I was able to eat out every now and then, knowing my direct debits were covered and I'm good. As long as the balance sheet was square at the end of Mm -hmm. each week, I was fine. Whereas now it's like, hey... I need to probably prepare to supplement some of my super, which I've always done, but I need mm-hmm. to sort of think about if I'm going to have a family, we don't know yet, do I need to supplement some time out of the workforce to go into my super? At the age of 34, having that conversation with my partner of what does our retirement look like? If it's only 30 years away, are we on the same page with that? Mm-hmm. Do we have that financial goal? Whereas me in my 20s, super schmooper, <laughs> I didn't care. I was really lucky though in my 20s to have a financial planner um, when I was 22 say to me, right, we need to start salary sacrificing to your super. And I was like, oh, that sounds so boring. I'd rather have that money now and this conversation's crap. And she's like, well, hang on a minute. What would retired Beck want to be grateful for that working Beck contributed? So what can I sit back in my 60s and go, thank God working Beck did this? And I was like, well, I, I like drinking beer. <laughs> and then and the, the chick said, well, how about you salary sacrifice a slab of beer a fortnight? Just to start, just so there was something tangible in my head. So from early 20s, I put 50 bucks a fortnight into my super before my tax. In my head, I wasn't salary sacrificing to super. I was pre-buying slabs of beer for retired Beck. But now in my 30s, when I look at my super and think, gee, all that extra money that I've put in there, because it it compounds, so it adds up really quickly. Mm. All these extra slabs that I've put into my super is actually a tangible amount that's going to help mm-hmm. me should I take time out of the workforce to have kids or if my partner takes time out of the workforce, if he's going to stay at home or or whatever it might be. So it's, you know, your financial literacy and your goals and, and what that dollar value means over the years changes. So I was super lucky to have that advice. But the biggest thing with that is it's never too late as well. Yeah, right. Because if you start now, you're in a better position than if you never started. Absolutely. Exactly right. And it's just more the way that that was put to me in the What's re- like a salary sacrificing to your super? Mm. Sounds like a load of crap, it really. Seems doesn't like there's it? a goat involved or something, doesn't yeah, it? Like sort of it's, biblical. It's just boring. And usually it's boring people saying it to you. But when I had this financial <laughs> planner who's like, salary sacrifice a slab, that made sense to me. I can picture myself retired with piles of beer going, <laughs> thank you, working Beck. This is great. Um, so for me, it's it's looking at those goals or that, that do change and shift absolutely and being able to relate it to something. So it might be something different for most people. But for me, it was probably the best thing I've done personally with my finances. Um, But I think it's being aware of your goals and what you need to do to achieve those or come close to them. Don't you like that a branch manager going to see a financial planner? It's like a chain of practical women doing good money things. Hmm. (laughs) So, Carl, we've heard from the experts... Now we're going to hear about some women who found a way to make the system work for them. Yes, I'm pretty chuffed with Jan and Terry. So Jan is a much-loved Victorian Women's Trust volunteer and she came up with an alternative game plan by creating a nest egg with her teaching friend Terry. So you guys bought a house together. Yeah, we we did. did. We did. Well, it came out of the fact that super was about to change and we were both in the state super, of course, 
and the in the old scheme in the old scheme in the revised scheme and the um, it was such a good scheme that they wanted people to get out of it. In fact, because although we liked teaching and we did we enjoyed teaching to the end, we also wanted to know that we'd be able to retire when it suited us, mm-hmm. not when it suited somebody else. Yeah, so that yeah. was to try and make a bit of extra money, I guess. Uh-huh. And I think so, like lots of women, we hadn't really thought about money before then. I hardly ever bothered reading my pay slip properly. But that was the that was the impetus to start us looking at uh, what's around in terms mm-hmm. of Up financial sense. schemes mm. and how we can make sure we have a decent retirement. Though we knew we would with the super we had, but we also thought that we'd like to explore some other possibilities. We've always just been really good friends mm-hmm. and gone on holidays together and talked about all sorts of um, issues, travelled a lot together. And so we really wanted enough of a nest egg so that if we decided to do another trip to Italy, that we'd be able to do it and not have to think about something else. So it was to just have a bit extra. On the partnership, I mean, who started the conversation and Um, what was that like? Well, we can't really remember that. But, of course, it's about because we'd known each other for a long time, we both knew that we trusted each other completely. Mm-hmm. We we're both sort of completely honest, and we we're also pretty sure that this person was going to be, you know, an okay person to do it with. I'm fairly hopeless on detail, and Terry's good at that. So, you know, she took control of keeping records and things of that yeah. nature. But it's not for everyone because we did have some money to start with to put into it. So. It was sort of a case of then thinking about we wanted something low risk. Very we, low risk. Yeah. I refused to have my house involved. <laughs> I said to Jan, I'm happy to do this, but I don't want my house to be involved at mm. all because yeah. that was paid for. So, yeah. I think it's something women generally don't think about. Going to the bank was, you know, a, a, a scary prospect because you needed to have some mail um, mm-hmm. to be somehow responsible or vouching for you in some way. So women didn't do things like that particularly, but But we decided it was worth a fly and we trusted each other completely. It's not a bad idea for friends, you know, even for three or four friends to get together and buy perhaps an apartment that they're going to To rent rent, out. It gives them some little foothold into into getting that security. So it's something that always just seems to be the province of married couples and Mm. I don't think it necessarily needs to be. This has been very eye-opening for me because I'm single and I am having to think about my future obviously and I don't know if that's a future that involves someone or it's just going to be by myself but then should I wait to make decisions until I meet that person or what sort of things should I be thinking about now but I would have never considered it. And I think that's a women's outlook isn't it that Mm. we haven't really ever been sort of taught about finances or I don't know that men are particularly Mm. either, but Mm. it's not part of our mindset yet. Mm. And I think that should change. I think, you know, I'm all for financial security for women. And that's part of being a feminist really, isn't it? It's to think that you have to look after you. If no one else Mm -hmm. is going to look after you, doesn't mean to say in the future things won't change, but from the start, I think you have to think, well, it's me I'm looking after, it's my future, it's my yeah. life ahead of me and that it's important mm. to consider it. Probably we do need as women to become more assertive about finances and our financial rights and 
tedious and boring as it is, actually mm. sort of take a bit of interest in it. Mm. And we did it in a simple way and we're pleased we did because yeah. when I retired, we sold the house and there was this nice lump that, you know, I wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm. So it was good. Really what I good. love about your story is, I mean, you both openly admitted to how you weren't as financially astute as you are now, mm. and then you made the decision to secure your futures. And I find that to be incredibly inspiring because it's never too late to no, make that decision. Oh God, no. We got better in our last few years of teaching because we then went into salary sacrificing and we, we paid as much into super as we could. We did all those things, but we'd only done that for the last, what, 10 years or so, yeah, probably. Or less so our co-producer Ellie has been speaking to Christina Hobbs from Verve. Now Verve is Australia's first and only super fund which dedicates 100% of its resources and passion to building the wealth and financial power of women everywhere. And so they are tackling the issues of super and gender equality head on. So let's hear what Ellie found out. So I'm the CEO of Verve Super which is Australia's first ethical superannuation fund for women by women. Prior to starting Verve, I worked for about 12 years for the UN, so mostly overseas Mm -hmm. um, in Syria at the beginning of the the conflict and then also in some of the neighbouring countries and just started doing a little bit more research into conflict and the roles of the weapons that were being used and the lobbying that was happening between some of those weapon companies and with different senior politicians in the US and came to realise that my own superannuation money was actually being invested in some of the weapons that were part of that conflict. Yeah, right. And it was a really enormous realisation to me and quite a shocking one. And it led me really on a path of looking at what else my superannuation was invested in. And I think I'd always been quite interested in concepts around capital and capitalism. And um, it really caught me this idea that we have so much money in Australia invested in things that we don't even know what we're funding and we don't know what future we're funding. Just sounds like a, a huge moment. I, I think a lot of people don't understand how superannuation works in that sense and how it's invested. And Yeah, it's pretty wild. So when we started an ethical super fund, I thought that just explaining that we're an ethical super fund, people would inherently understand what that meant. But what I realised over time was that we have to take a real step back and explain what a non-ethical fund is or what a normal fund is and explain to people that their superannuation is actually an investment. So mm. even though that money is something that often we don't think about, what that money is invested in are the kind of companies that we're helping to grow. So in Australia, if you haven't made a conscious decision to invest your money ethically, then the chances are that it's largely invested in resources and in the big four banks because that's what dominates um, the Australian market. So a lot of people would be quite horrified to know just for the full extent, let's say, of the fossil fuel assets that they own. Yeah. So it's really a real challenge to communicate that. But also there's some great advantages. So there's wonderful research out of Australia, but also coming out of Oxford and Harvard in the US that's showing that across Australia and globally, ethical funds are actually outperforming the market. So for very Fantastic. good reason, companies that are doing the right thing are actually performing better. And it's also wild to think that a lot of the people who whose money is being invested in these not so good practices are probably that's happening from the moment they enter the workforce because super is compulsory in Australia. So people need to make the switch, but they might not know how to do that. Yeah, exactly. I think it's this idea that a lot of people almost don't feel like their superannuation is theirs because they can't access it for so long, because Mm. people often take the account with their first job. Um, They feel somehow that the government controls it or the government owns it, um, and it's not actually theirs. But for many of us, it will be the biggest asset we own. It will be the biggest contribution we make in terms of the world that we invest in. So what a great 
thing to take control of. Absolutely. So we spoke a little bit about the ethical background to Verve, but there's a lot more to Verve than that. So how does it differ from your typical superannuation fund? Yeah, so it is the first fund that was designed specifically tailored for women. So it was the ethical investing, as we've talked about, investing in line with the values of women, but also making a statement about the companies that we do and don't invest in based on how they treat women. So we were the first super fund in Australia not to invest in any companies without a woman on the board. Wow. We also have one of the strictest supply chain reviews in terms of the companies that we do and don't invest in. So Mm. from the top level of how our company treats women right through to the women that's working in its supply chains um, in other countries, we really take that into consideration. A lot of the issues that are really impacting women's retirement outcomes are structural issues and Mm, policy issues. Absolutely. And so a real focus of this fund was to develop a community of women who would advocate and agitate for change and really raise awareness for what we need to do to make our superannuation system fairer. So just touching on those structural barriers, what are women up against when it comes to superannuation currently? So the raw statistics are pretty stark. So we've got a situation where one in three elderly women are living in poverty. And we we hear a lot or a lot of people seem to think that this is a legacy issue. So, well, now women are in the workforce, you know, pay equality is sort of somewhat improving. These are old issues that will eventually right themselves. But what we're really seeing is a lot of the underlying structural inequalities are still in place. So Mm. there is still quite a large pay gap. The way that our retirement system is structured, there's no um, benefit if you're on carer's leave or parental leave. And I'm sure women listening today will know that women obviously take on the bulk of that work. And so what we really see is a system that rather than compensating or supporting women who tend to earn less throughout their lives, we actually have a system that magnifies all that inequality. But if you look at the system and take a step back, we really have a retirement system in Australia that's still focused on the notion that behind every hardworking, underpaid woman is going to be a man who's um, earning more, working full time, who can support her. And so we should really be asking why in 2019 are we accepting a retirement system which still assumes that women will have a male to support them. Since it was constructed, it always had this male breadwinner in mind and that was the way it was always going to go. Like the only real changes that we've seen in the superannuation system is around tax concessions over the last 20, 30 years and that doesn't really help those at the bottom, does it? No, it's this total like tinkering around the edge of the system with no structural reform and I think we Women should be really furious about this. And Mm. um, a lot of what we try to do with our fund is almost trying to uncondition some of our members to take away the shame and the guilt they feel. So we have women really quite ashamed of their balances. But you look back at their work history and they've raised four children. They've worked in the community sector. They've contributed so much. And it's really not their own fault that they're in that situation. If we talk about even the idea or the notion of retirement equality, we haven't even at a national level ever articulated that that's something that we're striving for. So we've obviously got clear national goals around pay equality, and we hear that all the time, the government tracks it. Mm. But there's no broad opinion at a federal political level that we should even be trying to achieve retirement equality. So, okay, uh, imagine you had uh, a magic wand and you could just switch up the superannuation system so that it actually suited everyone. What would you change? The first thing I would look at, well, okay, you've got this one group of people over here that take on the bulk of the unpaid labour that's critical to our economy, to our society. I would say, okay, why don't we try to create a system where the bulk of all tax concessions through the system goes to that group? And I would think of things like um, 
providing superannuation benefits or government-provided credits when people are doing any form of caring, I would then be saying to myself, okay, you've got this group of people over here who are going to experience a lifetime of pay inequality because we haven't sorted that issue out. So how do we look at a super system that actually provides more benefit to these people? And if you contrast that to the current system we have today, where of the $36 billion that the Australian government puts into tax concessions each year through the superannuation system, two-thirds of it goes to men. Mm. So there's been research that's shown that the top 5% of Australians actually receive 20% of all those tax concessions. So we have this really flipped system. Um, There's also just some really interesting aspects of superannuation policy. So another one is that, um, for instance, domestic workers. So if you're a nanny or a home worker, you don't get paid superannuation if you work under 30 hours a week. So, you know, this is just a clearly discriminatory policy that really largely affects women because women take on Mm. 80 to 90% of these roles. I I think when we talk to women about money or any kind of money, um, what we realise is that women in in general, and I don't want to speak for all women, but are often less motivated by the pure concept of building money and building wealth for the sake of wealth. So we really go back to what is the definition of wealth and wealth is having an abundance of what you value in your life. And so when we talk to women about their superannuation, we don't talk to them about dollars. We talk to them about what life do you want in retirement? Do you Mm. want to spend, do you want to go on overseas holidays? Are you happy to be in Australia? What kind of support do you want to offer your grandchildren? And once we start talking to people about their lives, it becomes a lot easier to help them structure their finances to support the kind of wealth that they want in their life. You've been listening to Money Power Freedom, created and produced by the Victorian Women's Trust in partnership with Bank Australia, the bank with clean money. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends. On the next episode of Money Power Freedom, we discuss returning to work. I hadn't been addressed by my first name for a good six years. (laughs) It was always just mum, so it was nice to have a conversation with another adult. Working in a man's world. I had to fight many a battle in the boardroom requesting prize money increases and because we surfed alongside the men, if the conditions turned to shit, then they had this common theme that when the waves turned to crap, send the girls out. And work on women's terms. I don't want to compete with blokes for heading CEOs that are shrewd and heartless, and but I want the option if that's what I want. But I also want to see women be able to value the alternate choices that we might make. For more info about this podcast, our guests and resources you can use at home, head to vwt.org.au forward slash podcast. Follow us for updates on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Vic, at Vic Women's Trust. Money Power Freedom has been mixed and recorded by Gavin Neighbour at Horwood Recording Studios at the University of Melbourne. Our co-producers are Maria Chikudi and Ali oliver Perham. We're indebted to our team of researchers and project workers, including Ebony Westman, Queenie Chung, Audrey Bong, Jacinta Hennecom, Georgia Jenkins-Smales, Jess Naylor, Bryony Green, Esther Davis-Brown, basically everyone at the Victorian Women's Trust. Huge thanks to folks across various sectors who helped shape our content in the name of gender equality. Our excellent theme song is Shut Up, Show Me With Your Shoes, lovingly donated by the Sugar Fed Leopards. Thanks to all of our guests and you, our dear listener. Till next time. Okay.